Hey everyone, this is Patrick Donahoe, host of the Well Standard Podcast. Before we get started to this week's episode, which you're going to love, by the way, I just wanted to give you a quick announcement. So most of you who have been listening for a while know that I've, I've spoken on a really amazing event that happens just once a year, and it happens on a cruise ship, and that's the Real Estate Guys Radio Summit at Sea. And this year is actually going to be pretty amazing, and there's still a few cabins left, uh, but you got to listen to this lineup. So first off, the Real Estate Guys themselves, which is the number one downloaded uh, podcast for uh, real estate investors. Uh, so Robert Helms and Russell Gray, those are the Real Estate Guys. But you also have Robert Kiyosaki, author of the Rich Dad, uh, author of the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. And this year they're celebrating the 20th anniversary. Uh, so it's it's amazing they got him to to come on board. But Robert Kiyosaki is going to be there. Uh, Peter Schiff. G. Edward Griffin, the author of uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, which we talk about all the time on the podcast. Uh, we also have a few others. Uh, Chris Martinson, uh, who is the uh, author of The Crash Course, and he's amazing. I can't, I can't wait to hear him. I've never heard him live. I can't wait for that one. And there are a few others. Uh, Tom Hopkins, uh, best known for just his motivational speaking, especially on real estate investing. So if you're a real estate investor and have any type of interest. This is this is the uh, event of the year to to really come to and learn and be inspired to take your game to the next level. So if you want more information about the Summit at Sea, in the show notes, we're going to put the uh, link, but also you could visit uh, the, let's say it's realestateguysradio.com forward slash summit at sea, uh, or just go to their main page, realestateguysradio.com. Uh, I'm going to be there. I'm bringing my 10-year-old daughter. It's going to be an amazing time. She is committed to winning the Cashflow 101 game in front of Kiyosaki, so we'll see how she does. But it's going to be an amazing time, amazing event. I'm ex- I'm super excited to go this year, and I invite you guys as well. If you can make that happen, uh, I believe the date is is uh, the first week of April, uh, so April 1st to, I believe, the, uh, the 9th. So anyway, realestateguysradio.com. Go check that information out, and if you go, I hope to see you there. This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. Morning, everybody. This is Patrick Donahoe of the Wealth Standard, and uh, this is episode 184, and it's going to be part of a two-part series. It is 84 and 184 and 185, and I have a brand new person to the show. His name is Dr. Matt Woolley. Matt, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. No, you're. Uh, this is going to be. This is going to be awesome. We're going to talk about. Well, you're a doctor. But you're not a doctor in like you know, chiropractic medicine or a dentist, right? Right. You're no, a doctor in like no. the fun stuff. I'd pull your teeth out if you wanted me to, but I I'm you know, can't yeah. bill your insurance. No. <laughs> uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, so um, so what that means is I'm never going to want to, you know, look down your throat or in your ears or any of that stuff, but we like to talk about how people think and why they think the way they do and the neuroscience and behavior behind it. Yeah, for sure. And, and today we're going to obviously focus on money because that's the topic of this show, right. but there's a lot of different tangents that we can uh, that we can take. So we have a couple of people moderating for us, so we don't get too crazy. Okay. So you don't go and rain us start, in. Yeah, yeah. If you hypnotize me, <laughs> then you know there's. I've got my pocket watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, but we're going to talk about the psychology of money. So uh, part one is more of like you know just dissecting the psychology of money right mm-hmm. we can go all mm-hmm. over the place with that right uh, and then Powerful. part two is going to be just you know now that you understand kind of what 
you know, what the psychology of money is and essentially what's holding people back from uh, being where they want to be or getting what they want. Uh, it's things that they can do to take action. Okay. So, okay. and I know we discussed a few things uh, earlier, but you know, it could be routines. It could be books. It could be associations. There's a million different things, but let's get into that. We'll get into the primary ones in that part too. Yeah. All right. So psychology, I, lo- I love this. I love this topic because and I read ton, tons of books on it, so it's amazing that I can, you know, we have a, a, a real filter as opposed to my, <laughs> you know, untrained, untrained filter. There's a lot of great information out there, though. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a good reader, you probably know a lot of good stuff. That's true. There's lots of there's lots of books, though, that are out there, and who knows, like, what's, That's true. what's legitimate <laughs> and what's not. But yeah. why don't you give maybe give our listeners and viewers, because we're live on Facebook, yeah. uh, our viewers, uh, just kind of some background, like who you've worked with, organizations, okay. you know, some just your your experience experience to an extent. Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist, so I'm a, I'm a I'm a doctor of thinking, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Uh, I am currently a, a clinical professor in uh, the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Utah. Okay. So most of my colleagues are medical doctors, and we do a lot of neuroscience there. But I'm primar- primarily a clinician. We do some research, supervision, training, uh, working a lot with uh, anxieties, which actually dovetails really nicely into this topic because mm-hmm. money is a very powerful and therefore anxiety-provoking thing yep. in our lives. Um, in addition to that, I have a private practice where I do a variety of things, including uh, trainings for high-performance people. So I've had the opportunity to work with uh, quite a few athletes, including professional athletes here in Utah, as well as large companies, uh, Goldman Sachs, to name drop one, and, mm-hmm. and others, uh, where we talk about how pressure, stress, uh, affects their ability to work and how just by changing some simple routines and how we think and what we do, you can dramatically not only feel better, but the neuroscience behind it, the research shows through functional MRI studies, we can actually improve our brain functioning. We can increase density in our in the part of our areas where we think the most, our prefrontal cortex. So I love working with companies and individuals and talking about those sorts of topics and anything that is a powerful force in our environment, probably we can tag the psychology of in front of it so that we can, because as humans, we interact with all these powerful forces. And honestly, money uh, and wealth, I mean, that's right up there with uh, eating and sleeping and sex. Yeah. Well, and it's one of the, and it's, it's interesting because you're right. Cause you have, I, guess, I think you have some natural things associated with that. Cause I think those drives that you just mentioned are, you know, they existed before money. Right. Okay. But you look at money and it's, it's more, it's more modern. Now, obviously, you know, thousands of years ago you had seashells and uh, you know, beaver pelts and, and stuff like that. But today it's a, a lot more prevalent just because of a human being's ability to exchange so readily. I mean, right. back, back in the beaver pelt world, right. What did you exchange money for? Right. It was mostly sustenance goods right? and services. Yeah, right? it, yeah. it wasn't like a massage, right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to mm-hmm. go on vacation Yeah, okay? to but survive. Today, it is. So today it's interesting cause it's, you know, the, the, there was psychology then I guess, but today it's, it's a, a lot more, I don't know, there's, there's this, it's, it's amazing just how the, the evolution of thinking, right, has created what our society is today. Because I would imagine that, you know, the way people think about money, it's not just because of their individualized autonomous thoughts, but it's also part of the collective, right? It's sure. what's the social agreement? What's the social psychology? What the, what's the social norm or expectation, right? Right. So in a lot of ways, I think 
what we call money has is a lot more broad i think is what you're saying like yeah. back you know a thousand years ago maybe the 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 money the the exchange that we made was mostly for survival and maybe in some ways a little bit easier to come by like if you really needed you go out and shoot a beaver i guess if you knew how to do that right <laughs> or dig up some seashells or something yeah. like that but nowadays it's a little bit harder to come by but it also has a much broader application in our lives yep. so it has everything to do with uh, even our our social sense of who we are our social status mm-hmm. um, not just our survival for the basic needs yeah so so maybe maybe we'll start we'll start with that like what what is this this fascination people have with with wealth like why why do they want money because money in a sense is it's like you know it's a, either a coin or it's a paper or i guess uh credit of some sort yeah, yeah. or or it's a number in a in a mm-hmm. bank account yeah right so what's what's the fascination with that what is driving people to have to have wealth or to have more than they currently have um, great, great question. I would I br- kind of break that down into two parts and probably talk about them in that order. The first one would be what is what does money represent to the person, to him or herself, mm-hmm. and then the second, what does the person bring to the money? What what sort of personality traits and qualities, experiences even do they have? So, in in the first part, we would probably tap into kind of an older idea from psychodynamic psychology, and we call that object relations mm-hmm. theory. And uh, the theory here is, and I think pretty well proven out nowadays, is that humans, unlike any other animal, we have this ability to think in the more abstract. We can abstract things, qualities, ideas. We can take others' points of view, and that gives us the opportunity to think of something as what it is concretely mm-hmm. interesting yeah. as well as what it represents to us so and that is often the much more powerful aspect of an object yeah so it was interesting i was talking to there's a there's a guy he's out of california and he does some some business with us and he was downstairs and and jack he's probably mid 70s and i'm like jack like when are you going to when are you going to hang it up <laughs> and he's like you know i've been all over the world um, and i you know do this and i get to go here and it's like I just love I love to do what I'm what I'm doing. So the abstract is more of like it's those things that exist mm-hmm. in reality, whether and it's mostly the things that you haven't done, right? And that's what that's what he said. Sure. He's like, well, what am I going to do if I retire? Right. right? I mean, I've been everywhere, mm-hmm. right? And there's only so much golf, right? <laughs> I like to do this. This is what's right. fulfilling to me. But you look at like the fascination with wealth in a big house and. Uh, you know, a vacation in in Europe mm-hmm. or or wherever. It's something that hasn't been done that is really what's being attracted. They're they're attracted to that. Is that what you're? That, is that what you mean by like being able to? I mean, think in the abstract. Sure, that would. I mean, yes, absolutely. So that that absolutely is in the ballpark. And in fact, there's probably no wrong answer. So mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about what it represents in a person's life. Let's break it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, for example. Uh, one of the one of the things that money I think represents for all of us is security. That's mm-hmm. a basic one. Yep. So um, we can become more or less obsessed with making money based on how much we're focused on our own security. Mm-hmm. Okay. So th- if that makes sense, yeah, right? The, the person that's running around having two or three kind of low paying jobs, uh, working all the time, they're mm-hmm. probably pretty obsessed with money. Maybe more so than your friend who's yeah. in his seventies, who probably has a good amount of wealth saved mm-hmm. up. They're not so focused on the making money they're focused on the activity yeah so what money represents in your life uh has a lot to do with how you treat it Mm -hmm. so security is it um for another person though you're mentioning like the big house you know the yacht whatever it happens Mm -hmm. to be 
for that person, it may actually represent a sense of self, which can get kind of dangerous. Hmm. So uh, uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, who I am. A lot of people will define themselves actually by those by numbers in the bank account, which create the possessions, right? Hmm. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes the numbers in the bank account don't really reflect the possessions that they're showing off. And that's yeah. where you can get into a little a bit lot of, of trouble. dicey territory, right? Keeping so, up with the Joneses. Yeah. So... One of the things I always recommend to people if we're talking about this topic is take a, take, I like to say percolate. Let this question percolate on your mind. Take a few days and write down any ideas that come to mind, but ask yourself, well, what does money really represent in my life? Okay, it's security for sure, but what else is it? Am I treading in some dangerous territory where money actually represents more of who I am than I'd like it to? Or does it represent freedom? So you mentioned this uh, friend of yours who's in his 70s has traveled everywhere. Mm. So a lot of people grow up and they dream about, you know, being able to go someplace, all these places we see in movies and read about. Maybe money represents the ability just to go do that. I have a friend who's up doing like backcountry skiing in Canada right now, and he's getting dropped off some, you know, yeah, someplace (laughs) like that. And he had to pay a pretty penny for this trip, but, but it represents freedom and excitement and pushing himself to the limits. Yeah. That's what his money's representing on this trip. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's even, it's even like those, cause I think you have that as far as like the experience side of things, but then you also have like w- what compels a person to hike Mount Everest, right? Which is, you know, so m- tons of preparation, a lot of money and yeah. it's miserable. It's like, it's abusive, <laughs> yeah. right? Cause yeah. you're, you can't breathe. It's freezing, yeah. right? Your chances of dying are really high, but yet yeah. people want to do something like that, have that type of experience. Yeah, and that might get us into kind of our second part, which would be your own personality traits, yep. your qualities, uh, what I just often informally call a person's style. What's that about? So mm-hmm. um, a good way to break that down, you could say control versus trust. So uh, where are we on that continuum, right? Okay. Uh, a person who um, you know, is high on the on the control side, feeling like they, they need a lot of control in life, are, are underneath it kind of out of control. Mm-hmm. And so they may use money to try to control things in their environment. Um, some people are really on the thrill-seeking end of things. They, they, are, they rarely sit down. They like to keep moving, and they, they get bored quickly. So sometimes money allows them to do some kind of push these limits. Yeah, it's yeah. great drop yourself off in the backcountry of Canada or hike, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. I couldn't do ever, so I just think smaller. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever it happens to be. But if you did hike Kilimanjaro, maybe your perspective would change. That's true. Maybe I think I can do it. Um, but, uh, you know, what you bring to it, uh, your own personality qualities. Yeah. Uh, somebody who uh, is able to know who they are as a person um, will often use money in, in a more positive way. Somebody who's struggling to find out who they are, maybe they have a confused sense of self, mm-hmm. uh, they get a lot of money, maybe they have a windfall of some sort, or their business finally takes off, mm-hmm. or they get that new job, and now they're making money that they didn't think they'd make before, and they start to use that to feed a need that should have been addressed before the money. Interesting. And that's the whole lottery, kind of the lottery effect. Or even professional right. athletes. Mm-hmm. You've worked with professional athletes where you know, they grow up in some dire That's a lottery, man. I mean, yeah. I know they no, work is. hard yeah. for it. Yep. But if you think about the number of NBA teams and the number of players on each team, so it's one of the smallest professional leagues that we have, mm-hmm. um, and then the high, high number of really talented young people growing up playing basketball in the United States and all around the world because we keep bringing in you know, players from oh, other countries. Yep. Uh, the, fa- the the chances of you getting a, a multi million dollar contract Very to play smart. for an NBA team, it's just it's nearly like winning the lottery, yeah. but with a lot of work. <laughs> well, and if you and if you look at just the 
you know, the average time that they're in that career and the money that they make. I mean, if you were to spread that across like 30 years or 40 years, right, it's not, yeah. not as much as they ever think it is. No, it, it, they really, really, and the NBA doesn't have this to my knowledge. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. I know the NFL does have mandatory monitoring and investing of your money. They, yep. they, they help you with that, but the NBA doesn't, and that's mm-hmm. unfortunate. Um, I can tell you that it, it has a lot to do with who the person is. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of one NBA player that I've worked with not too long ago, and this is a person who really kind of knows who he is. He, he's, a, just, he's a young kid, of course, like all of them, uh, very, very talented like all of them, but, but I think grew up with getting the right you know, messages about himself at home. Mm-hmm. And so he really had a solid sense, has a solid sense of who he is. The, the problem for him with money, getting all this money, isn't, he's, not, he's actually doing the opposite. He's not out buying Rolex watches for everybody's birthdays and kind of blowing it, you know, Kiss style 1978 or anything, <laughs> right? Uh, what he's doing is he's feeling, he's feeling the pressure to take care of everybody. You know, not just his immediate family, because a lot of these guys are talented, but they don't necessarily come from money. Mm-hmm. He came from a great, solid background, but no money. Mm-hmm. So what he's doing is stressing, worrying. I could send my, not just my brothers to school, my cousins. Well, yes, he and, feels you know, like he has to take care of other people. Yeah. yeah. So his, his focus with the money has actually been kind of tough on him, having all this money and knowing how to invest, because he wants, he wants to give it away, hmm. but for good things, paying tuitions, buying cars, buying homes, f- modestly, but for all these people he's related to. And, and he's, he's struggled with kind of the opposite. He says he sits and looks at his buddies, who are out, you know, hey, look at my new Porsche and look at all these things. And he, he honestly, his coach said, you can buy above a Honda. <laughs> and he's like, okay. You know, like, you know, he's just, he's, he, but he's, he's struggling, hmm. but in kind of a unique way that we don't usually think of when we talk about instant wealth. Okay. So everyone has that unique perspective, right? And so let's maybe dissect that to an extent. So looking at, looking at this individual or really anyone how how do you form your your paradigm or your psychology of money right now? So let's let's maybe talk about that. And it's kind of like, Ma- you know, the Maslow Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where sure. it's like, okay, here here's the you know the physiological level, and then you have the the security level, then you have relationships. So maybe let's you know walk through where we're at right now, or where somebody is right now, and then what steps need to take place. So you go from kind of that that bottom rung to the next rung to the next one, et cetera. Oh, sure, yeah. And, you know, uh, the hierarchy of needs is a pretty applicable um, paradigm in a lot of ways yeah. because you can take something powerful like like money mm-hmm. and you can walk it through each of the levels. Yeah. And so one of the things that's interesting to know is are, where you're living in certain areas, does that match where the other powerful object, in this case money, is on on the hierarchy? Mm-hmm. So for, for somebody who perhaps... Um, is almost at that top self-actualized level. You're yeah. playing, let's just keep, let's stay with athletes for a second. You're, you're playing in the NBA. Or, you know, it could be a businessman who's just like right on top of his game, cutting edge, everything's just flowing, right? So you're just right at that top, but you've just barely gotten the money. So you just, you just skipped all those levels. You went from way down here. Maybe you're a, the athletes are easy to talk about. So maybe you uh, come from a kind of impoverished background, you get this scholarship to go to college, uh, you, you know, it's it's pretty much uh, not much money through college, and then boom, you walk out into your big first round bonus, draft pick, big salary. Yep. It's, yeah, it's not just these big big, big contracts, but then you got the signing bonus. All of a sudden, you went from eighty four bucks in your checking account to, to eighty thousand yeah, just yeah. 
overnight and then another 80 and you know i mean it just boom 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 they get these bonuses and it's amazing and so a person hasn't been able to spend time maturing each of those levels on the hierarchy of needs and so now we have this tremendous talent but no ability to manage the other power which is the money hmm. and that's where a lot of that dichotomy is very stressful for a person yep. and they do they do start just blowing it and spending it and living this life that they thought they wanted they you know because as we're all coming up right and I, you probably have had this experience i've had this experience you're coming up in life and you see people above you so to speak they're advanced or older they're more successful and you're thinking oh I want to be there. I want to be able to write a check for a car someday. Yeah, yeah. I want to write I want to, the whole thing. And, you know, or I want to go to this vacation. I want to be able to do this thing. And then when you're there, is it really what you wanted? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times people go crazy spending and playing. And then that can actually negatively affect the talent that got them there, whether it's a, a business-minded talent, mm-hmm. um, an athletic talent, musical talent. Because it creates a whole other levels of stress. Totally. And, and it's distracting. Yeah. So you used to be able to have this focus just on the development of who you were or, in, in some cases, the specific skill that got you where you were. Yeah. Now your brain is so distracted with... Uh, all the things that can come with money, mm-hmm. not just the play, but the power mm-hmm. that comes with it, the ability to feel good about yourself. Some, you know, um, you'd think that these uh, Adonis-like uh, NBA players or professional athletes would always feel great about themselves, but yeah. there are a lot of things, like any of us, that they might struggle with how they feel. Yeah. Um, as I talk to some athletes, sometimes it's the intellectual side of life. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's the emotional side of life. And all of a sudden you have this money that can overpower you and the one area that or you it felt... Or can mask, it can mask certain oh, areas. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. Definitely uh, kind of take the place of, so it yeah. becomes this false sense of yeah. competency. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now, so, so, let's, so let's maybe get into where a person is r- right now. Like, how, like what questions can you ask yourself or, or look at as to where you're at right now and how to determine kind of your, your level of financial psychology, which is, you know... Uh, your ability to to earn money, pay bills, how much money you have in the bank, et cetera. Like how do you, how do you go about determining that? And then as far as making progress, because we're all innately motivated to 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 make progress, to grow, and I think that has a lot has a lot to do with money as well. But maybe start at like that fundamental level, like where how would you go about like diagnosing where a person is right now when it comes to their their financial psychology? Well, that's a great question. Um, I would say. We'd start with what the basic representation of money in our lives is security, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you take it at that basic level, that's the first question I'd have a person ask themselves. How's your security? Not how's your money, what's, mm-hmm. not what's your portfolio. How's your security? Mm-hmm. Back to the, the basic level of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like mm-hmm. you were mentioning. Are you paying all your bills? Are mm-hmm. you ahead every month? Mm-hmm. That really is important because otherwise, if you, if you take the word money out and you just put in um, uh, like a word like survival, mm-hmm. are they surviving? If not, how do we get, you can kind of get this image in your mind of someone who's not surviving is pretty desperate, yep. right? So that's important because when we're desperate, that's that's a bad time to make decisions with money. Hmm. Right? So let's say, so what would constitute somebody that felt un, unsafe or un, insecure when it came to finances? So like what? So if I were to ask the question, like okay, what? So where, where do you, from a safety standpoint, like where do you think you're you're at, or from a security standpoint, where do you think you're you're at? And like how how typically would a person that is secure respond, and then yeah. subsequently how would a person that is uh, insecure respond? 
Yes. Or secure and insecure. Secure and insecure. I would say, so, and maybe just to preface my comments, Mm -hmm. it's important, I think, for listeners and viewers to know that there are a lot of working professional people, people that are really making good money that aren't secure, mm-hmm. okay? There are a ton of them, and I think that grows all the time. Yeah. Our, our, it's the interesting nature of the economy that we live in. Mm-hmm. So you may be a working professional. You may have a master's degree or doctoral degree. You may be an attorney. You may be running a successful business. Mm-hmm. Um, but the easiest place to start is input and output. Yeah. How you what, just what, as broke <laughs> as like a janitor. Exactly, <laughs> and sometimes those folks that have the lower paying, less professional jobs, They've done what I'm about to suggest, and they're ahead of you, Hmm. meaning what they've done is they've just done input versus output. They've Hmm. done a simple ledger, and they know every month how much either they're losing or gaining. And then the second part is, back to the security and kind of the survival part, do you have a plan for the gain mm-hmm. if you, or the loss? So if you have a loss, you need a plan for that. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're making $150,000 a year in your job, that's good money in our economy. Mm-hmm. But what if you're spending $160,000 a year? Mm-hmm. Yikes, right? You're, you're 10K in the hole. Do you have a plan for that? Versus somebody who's uh, netting several thousand dollars every year. Now, it's not a lot of extra money, but do you have a plan for that? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's several thousand a month. Mm-hmm. It's easy to play with that kind of money. Or do you have a plan to continue your security, move yourself up that hierarchy? Yeah, so I, I like, cause, and, I, and I even ask these questions of like my wife or, or friends or family, which is, you know, if you, if, if you lost everything tomorrow, what would you, what would you do, right? Or mm-hmm. if you lost your job tomorrow, how many months do you do you have? Right. Okay. And then subsequently, like, what what would your situation need to look like? Okay. In order for you to maybe feel more more secure, right? And that I guess right. the responses are all going to be individ, you know, individualistic. But at the same time, that'll kind of bring out what those anxieties are, correct? Oh, absolutely. That's a great, a lot of this self-analysis, or you mentioned talking it over with your wife. I mean, yeah, uh, the strongest marriages are the ones that can talk about finances and money. Some of the weakest uh, heading towards divorce marriages are the ones you just can't talk about. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. this would be a good, like, you know, part B to our, well, our I learned, podcast I that, today, well, that's marriage I, therapy. And I've talked about this before, <laughs> but I, I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> I think, uh, I think yeah. some of us back have. In, back yeah. in the day, yeah, we... I definitely tried to like gloss over what was right. going on. This is like 2007 leading into 2008 and 9. Yeah, it's like, kind oh, of a rough time. Good, everything's good. <laughs> then it's like, oh, sh- <laughs> we're, yeah. Sh- uh, we're, yeah, it was funny. We have a, we went to Chuckarama. So yeah. we went to Chuckarama and said, okay, babe, this is what's going on. And yeah, we always, we always remember those times, but those are the, yeah. those are the instances where you learn a, uh, you know, tremendous le- lessons yeah. and being open and having that communication is, is, uh, is vital. Cause there's nothing worse than having your own anxiety, right. uh, than having a, a, a spouse that Trying shares to, it with you. Cause right. it's, it's exponential. It can be exponential <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. And it's also a heavy weight to bear if you're hiding it from your spouse. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, along those lines, just a some, a simple thing I say often is resistance promotes growth. That's kind of a human yeah. natural world phenomenon. If mm-hmm. you want to get big arms and shoulders, you got to go, lift the weights. Yep. And oftentimes, highly successful, high-performance people who have really made it big have these chuckarama type stories yeah. where you, you've hit a period of resistance or struggle, and you've, you've doubled down and figured things out, and you've worked past it. Yep. And that actually promotes that growth over time in a way that maybe without that experience, you wouldn't 
really be able to pull off because you wouldn't yeah. know the difference. Yeah. So I think I think when you all right. So maybe in or a good way to determine where you're at is is to look at you know if things stopped in the way mm-hmm. that they are they're happening right now, whether it's your profession or whether it's right. um, you know other circumstances. If if that changed drastically and put you in that because res- it's it's funny. It's like that dichotomy of resistance is. Everybody fears resistance, but yet it is the catalyst to most most growth. Absolutely. But you put them in that you know mental position of envisioning. Okay, if this were the case, how secure, how safe? Like, what right. what would you what would your reaction be? Then then that I think would show. Okay, where where are you? But I think the best way to do that is really to be honest, having some sort of an objective measurement of where you're at. And so whether it's a financial, as you said, an income statement where you had, okay, here's all the money that came in. Right. Here's all the money went out. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you, if everything is dialed in, you know, you know, day after day, after day, after day, you're going to know without any type of bias. Okay. Here's, here's where we're at. Right. Same thing with like a balance sheet. So Mm -hmm. knowing what your net worth is. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we, we love to do is, okay, we need to know where you're at. If you Mm -hmm. are going there, you need to know where you're at first. So I think that's kind of the fundamental level. Now, as we get into, you know, the resistance side of things. So everyone I would say is motivated by similar things. Uh, but, but at the same time, they're different. The similar right. things are you're, you're motivated by more, right? That's that mm-hmm. whole idea of growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it comes down to, you know, what is more? How would you define more? So let's maybe talk about, you know, really how people get themselves in trouble by they want more and then they're, they're trying to achieve whether it's a status or achieve this or achieve this, but they do it the wrong way. First off, what is that wrong way? How would you define that? Well, um, anything that decreases your overall quality of life. And so that could certainly be your financial quality of life. If you're making investments, borrowing money, spending money you don't have, you're, you've got an upside down balance sheet, so to speak, mm-hmm. that's the wrong way okay. because that cannot last, right? Okay. We've all seen people, uh, maybe some of us have been there. We all know that that's, that's a teeter, teetering on the brink sort of place to be. Okay. Um, so that's certainly one of the wrong ways. Another quality of life one is time. Um, time is actually a more precious commodity for things than, than money. Now, money allows us to have more time, so they're highly inter-correlated and become more and more so all the time in our, in our economy. But, um, but do you have any time left? Another one is passions. So what, are you able to pursue passions while you're also trying to get more wealth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those can be related back to your story of your friend who's in his 70s. Mm-hmm. He's probably pursuing passions because one of his passions is the work he does. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yep. Right? And if you can correlate the two, you're, you pursue your passion and your money comes in. But a lot of people, they put their passions on hold just to kind of grind it out, trying to make more and more money, thinking someday, yeah. someday I'll get to my passion. Someday I'll have more time yep. for the people in my life and the events in my life I want to do. Someday I'll actually hike a mountain that I want to hike. And that someday often doesn't come. Never happens. Yeah. Yeah. And the quality of life just goes down and down and down. Actually, you know, I won't bore you with the story, but I remember Mm -hmm. being in graduate school, working myself to a frazzle. And one of my mentors pulled me aside and he said, this all looks good. You know, he's going over the research I'd done and Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. And he sets it down and he goes, but what's, what's your quality of life? And so me being a knucklehead, I'm like, I'm just like, well, 
if you like it, I guess it's good. Can we put this in a publishing? He goes, no, no, no. What's the quality of life? Yeah. It took him three times to get the point across to me that I hadn't seen my wife or new baby in like a week. Yeah. I had been living there, doing the research, getting this stuff cranked out. Mm-hmm. It was good quality, but the other qualities in my life were going down the tubes. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think there there was a there's a there's a kind of a, a mentor colleague of mine. And he always presents, you know, the different the different areas of your life, your relationships, uh, your uh, your health, your uh, spirituality, your religious mm-hmm. beliefs. Uh, then you have the financial financial side of things. Which one of those would you lose first? Like, if you were to get if you had yeah. a choice, like which of those areas would you get rid of first? Right? Would would you get rid of your relationships? Probably not. Hopefully your not, spirituality, yeah. <laughs> probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your health and your physical well-being. The last thing you get rid of is is the financial side of things. But yet, everybody, you know, you really look at a big motivator when it comes to what people are, are trying to achieve, and it can be broken down to to the money unless you dig a little bit deeper to find the true motivation. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So right now, I think you know, as as we mentioned in the you know earlier, it's. Society has kind of created this, uh, this this idea of where you what you should have, where you should be, what type of this you should have or that or car or house or neighborhood or whatever. So, looking at that, how do you? Because I, I would say that that's a very superficial type of motivation. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so how do you take you know what society has created as this like superficial motivation for you know for for who we are and what we should be trying to achieve? Right, it's kind of like the college degree. It's like, you know, you, well, you don't have a college degree. I mean, college degrees. I don't. Who cares about college degrees today? I mean, yeah. I think they're meaning meaningless to an extent. But yet, you you tell that to you know a, a sixty-five, seven-year-old, and they they lose their mind, yeah. right? So yeah, you, you really look at like, yeah. this is what you should have. This is what you should be. Mm-hmm. This is where you. So how do you how do you kind of get somebody to figure out that that's not what they're trying to achieve? That they are, you know, really it comes down to the f- the fulfillment of the uh, those other areas of life, which money helps, right? But that doesn't really become. It's so it, it's so yeah. interrelated, right? Yeah. And and actually, I think I think you touched on it already. It's it's this it's this paradox, yeah. and that is in a way, even though, and I am the first to admit this. If you if you go back to the idea of money is security, money is freedom, money is power, mm-hmm. you need security, freedom, and power in your life to be able to do all the other important things. So mm-hmm. you can't dismiss money. But if you if you were to have to line all those things up, relationships, spirituality, passions, uh, finances, your work, if you had to rank order them of importance, I think what happens is you develop a more solid sense of self and have a much higher quality of life mm-hmm. if you put the finances last and those other things first. But huh. the paradox is by doing that, you end up making more money yeah. because you're you have a you're a more solid sense of who you are. So back to this idea of kind of the society influencing what we think we mm-hmm. should do. And by the way, should is a dirty word at my office because shoulds really get us in a lot of trouble. We yeah. carry around other people's shoulds in our lives, yeah. in our heads, not our and not our own. But yeah. if you know what your own shoulds are, then you're okay. <laughs> you know, I should sp- spend time with my family. That If that's your should and you own it, great. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing. So the idea is that by by developing a sense of who you are, you're less susceptible to these outside influences telling you you should have this particular status item, house, car, whatever it happens to be. And you also need to look at um, 
how how you react to the people you're around. Mm-hmm. I have groups of friends that if you're around them, that's the conversation topic. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of maybe this collective lack of self-confidence that may be happening with these people and they're trying to build it and we all try to build it. They're trying to build it maybe by external things. Mm-hmm. Whereas a person who has this internally solid sense of who they are, what their priorities are, they often then develop a passion or an ability at least to make money and be very secure and have the power in their life that they need. Yeah. So it's this it's an interesting paradox. When yeah. you put the money first, and I, I've worked with people who've done it both ways, when you put the money first, you may be very financially successful, I'll, I'll grant that, but the, the quality of life stuff really, really suffers. And what usually happens is those in the end weigh more. Hmm. They'll, take, they'll take out the money. Yeah. Or you end up being Ebenezer Scrooge, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that yeah, that's a great that's a great example. We could do a whole podcast on yeah Christmas. The we'll save it for uh, say the Christmas December. story. Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> the financial Christmas story. Yeah, there, there you go. go. But looking at, I would say with you know that transition. I mean, speaking about it, right? I think logically and rationally, it makes sense to most to most people. But mm-hmm. yet, you know, how few people ever really a- achieve that. So maybe yeah. we can start to you know end this segment, which with you know what is holding people back like what are the what are, from a psychological perspective which is your specialty like yeah. what are those big stumbling blocks where people you know they're like oh yeah i i uh i i can you know that is what i'm trying to do that is what i should do that is, but yet they, but don't, they don't do, do it, it. Yeah. what are those what are those primary stumbling blocks and then yeah. we can you know in the second part we can start to get into okay what can you do to overcome those stumbling yeah. blocks? Well, I would say I would say back to the old adage, um, you know, perspective determines reality. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that a good cognitive psychologist like myself might say a thousand times a day to somebody is a pattern: thoughts, feelings, behaviors. How we think about things has a dramatic impact on emotionally how we feel, what we, and then what we do is a result of that. It's a little more complicated than that if you crack a textbook, but for mm-hmm. our purposes, that'll work. Thoughts, feelings, behaviors. Mm-hmm. So a lot. If a person comes in and they say, oh, you know, you're right. I really should do those things that you mentioned. Uh, I I need to do all that, but I don't have the time. I just don't have time. I'll I'll do it this weekend. I'll do it next week. I'll do it tonight. I don't have the time to actually sit and kind of think about and prioritize that because I've got, I've got this meeting. I've got to return these phone calls. So now all of a sudden, how are you feeling just me saying that? That's stage two. I'm stressed already thinking about all the phone calls and things after. Mm -hmm. And then the behavior is I marginalize that prioritizing activity and I focus in on the phone calls and running around a little bit like a dog chasing his tail and people work every day every decade that way and so I would say that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks goes back to your perception of your situation and the longer they do it the harder it is to escape yeah it becomes habitual and and a lot of people say but I've got evidence Dr. Woolley that this works because look I'm doing okay I got you know I got the car in the house and we took a vacation and you know I'm doing all right and so they feel like they have to stay in that uh you know hamster wheel so to speak yeah interesting I was watching the documentary on minimalism. I don't know if you oh, yeah. looked into that. Oh, it's yeah. It's just yeah. fascinating because uh-huh. as you start to detach yourself from the material side of things, it makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. to really focus on those most important areas. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I can think of uh, a person that I know here in, in Salt Lake City who, as a, a young graduate student, uh, is a bioscience student, mm-hmm. he developed something. I won't say what it is because you probably would know. And he developed this application for, for this thing, and it made him millions. Yeah. Of dollars. Yeah. By the time he, he he doesn't have student loans anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like he gets out. But what he did 
is he uh, he had uh, a father, I think, who sat him down and said, what do you really love? And he said, I love developing this stuff. Because yeah. they, they were people trying to get him to invest the money and him yeah. start a new company. And, you know, here's this, you know, 20-something-year-old kid. What he did was he invested the money for himself and for things that he can do later. But he said, I'm going to have a 10-year plan. And for 10 years, I'm going to continue to hone and develop um, myself as a scientist. Hmm. I'm going to really, really, I don't have any pressure now. I'll, I don't have, I have no, I, I can buy a car. I can, he bought himself a little teeny house, bought himself a reliable car, and he just was cranking out the research. He moved to another city where, where he's working for a, a big research place. And uh, after about 10 years, he broke away and started his own thing. Hmm. But by then, he, was, he had a solid sense of who he was. He had quality of life. He had personal development. And he knew what he wanted to do with that money. That money continued to work for him instead of letting him work for the money. And whether it's somebody like has a kind of a sexy story like that mm-hmm. or if it's just the average guy who we're working for that paycheck all the time, we're working for the money. It's not working for us. Yep. I know it's cliche, but it really does have to do with our perception, what's important. So that being said, next week, Matt is going to be back. Dr. Matt, I'm sorry. Hey, no, it's sorry. all good. <laughs> Dr. Matt is going, uh, is going well, you earned you earn that title, all right? All right, you, he's going to be back, and we are going to really kind of get into some practical things that you can do to improve your financial life. So stick, uh, stick with us to then, uh, and uh, thanks for listening today. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. 